Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. Have you checked the children? children, children. I want to play a game. The box. You opened it. We came. This is the All-American Sweet Welcome to yet another edition of the All-American Spook Show podcast. I'm Josh, and I'm joined here with Will. Oh, yeah. And the Professor Smoke. What's up? Donnie could not be with us. He's on assignment, but we're going to go ahead and, uh, you know, plow on through without him. This week, we are, you know, our every other week uh, horror reviews. This time, it was Smoke's Choice. And what have you brought for us this week, Smoke? Oh, we got a little uh, Session 9, one that I... uh... I'd remembered shortly before we tried, well, actually, wait, well, after we announced that we were going to do these uh, picks for each of us, I get, I get, uh, you might call it saddled with in my, uh, in my estimation of with a new movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> you know? I, I did too. So it wasn't just you. So I was like, damn, what about to come up with a new movie? And then it popped in my head at some point. I think maybe, I don't know what I was thinking of, but I hadn't seen that movie in a while. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be a good one. So I don't, and I didn't know who had seen it or not seen it among us. So, uh, I'll let y'all take over that. Whether yeah, yeah. I think the only one that uh, of the other three of us that had uh, seen this before was Donnie. But I know I hadn't seen it. And Will, you said you hadn't seen it either, right? When we discussed that, right? Yeah, no, I hadn't seen it. Yeah, matter of fact, you've been gone for the last couple weeks, right? Like, yeah, you weren't here the uh, the last two episodes uh, when we did uh, Phantasm and The Big Lebowski. Um, So I guess now is as good a time as any. We'll go ahead and uh, you know talk about those things just for a second uh, I, I don't know what you're talking about i've never heard of those two movies uh phantasm oh, no the first one. Oh wait yes yes, yes. yeah yeah of course <laughs> yeah i came up with six i think we're you know we're far enough removed i don't need to go kill by kill. yeah 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 and that, and that sounds about right just in my you know recollection of it there wasn't a lot no there and you know uh smoke we can go back you gave a gore score of six so that kind of goes hand in hand with the the amount of uh, death that we saw in that movie, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would definitely say, you know, that, that movie is definitely, you know, worth giving a watch. I, I don't know that I would say it was my favorite movie. Um, what is going on in this town where everybody's place to go to get busy is in the, is in the cemetery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, why? Of course, now looking back on it, it is, it is one guy in both sex scenes. So, you know, I, I guess that could just be his, his kink. Uh, was there any other thoughts you had about Phantasm? Any other random thing you want to point out before you give your star rating on it no i mean you know overall it was a you know it was a pretty solid fun flick uh the tall man was just really awkward especially anytime he had to do a scene where he walked <laughs> yeah he and he also i don't know if we talked about his height like he was i want to say six foot five mm-hmm. they actually added more height to him by having him put on some platform type shoes mm-hmm. made his his uh sleeves and everything a little bit shorter to make him have the appearance of being even taller. So all of those things probably added to the awkwardness of his walk. <laughs> uh, the only thing that, that stuck out with me was uh, that 
there was that one scene where the kids like following around his brother or something on main street and the tall man's walking up doing his weird arm swing. And it's like slow mode. It's like slow mode. And then he walks up to a guy who has like a freezer truck. Yeah. You Reggie, see, like, you uh, know, yeah it's the, the, uh, the ice cream truck guy. Yeah. It's the ice cream truck driver. Yeah. And, and, and when he opens the door, you see, you know, like the, uh, it's not smoke, but I guess like fog mm-hmm. of the hot and cold coming together. Yeah. And then he stands there almost like he's like Nicolas Cage about to do a big scene, just kind of <laughs> breathes it in. And like, what the hell was that? It's just a big sniff. Like, <laughs> and then he just looks at him. Boy. What? So before you give your star rating, what did you think of the end of that movie? Like, how, how do you explain it? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's about right. <laughs> odd. <laughs> it almost set it up like, to me, most of the movie was horseshit, or that it was like a dream or something. Yeah. Because you see Reggie, you know, the ice cream guy, you see him yeah. get stabbed by the, the lady in Lavender, or whatever her name was, that, that was basically the tall man in some other form. And yeah. then, like, you see the dude die, and then all of a sudden, like, they trap the tall man down in this well or something, right, in the ground, and then, like, his brother is up on top of the hill and pushes the rock off, and it seals it up or whatever. And they're like, right. yeah, we did it. And then all of a sudden, like, Oh yeah, by the way, your brother's dead. Remember he died in a car accident <laughs> and Reggie's like, alive? What? Yeah. <laughs> There's something this that got cut. Any sense. Yeah, like that it was too much of a curveball for me that was uh left too unexplained at you know on on every level. You know, like for me it brought it down like a half star or so, like instantly. I'm like, what what the fuck was that? You know, like I didn't know if you had any different thoughts about about that or <laughs> what that was. No, no, I think I think this is one of those movies, you know, like you have to see it. Yeah. Uh there there's enough oddity in it to kind of keep you coming back to to watch some more of these. But yeah, like I, I do remember like sitting there watching this and then at the end of the movie it's like, wait, <laughs> wait, what? <laughs> Why is his brother dead? Yeah. You saw him like two seconds ago. It's not like the ending of say I guess in some ways it's similar, but it's not quite the same as the ending of April Fool's Day. Right. You know, ha ha, April Fool's, we got you. Nobody fucking died. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. It's not quite that, but still, like, you really could say, like, well, m- pretty much most of that was some kind of weird dream sequence. Most of it never huh. really happened, you know, so good, good night, <laughs> was everybody. Like a a grief stricken fever dream? Yeah. I, I, that's kind of the way I read it, right, Smoke? Like, that it was some weird way of him working out his grief because his brother had died in a car accident. You know, and, and if you think yeah. back on it, there was this the symbolism, maybe however you want to phrase it, of him following his brother around because he thinks his brother's going to leave him. As it turns out, his brother had left him. He's he's dead. So you know, this is some weird way of him yeah. working through it, processing it. Yeah, right. It was a weird one. And look, and and you know, when I said that, you know, uh, that it took it down a peg, you know, on that episode, it's not that I didn't, I wasn't entertained by it. I was entertained by most of the movie. It's just that ending was just like, well, it was too far out of left field for me. So that, that brought it down a little bit, but you know, we'll have time to discuss that, you know, on the anniversary episode, whether we want to re-rate it or not, or myself or, you know, or any of you guys, but, uh, we'll go ahead and uh, give your rating for it. Yeah. Kind of reiterating everything that I said, you know, this is, this is one of those where I definitely feel like you need to watch it. So, uh, I went with a two and a half. It's a fun kind of what the heck watch. Like you said, the ending is kind of, kind of out there and, and what did I just see? But overall, I think this is something that, that people should definitely watch. So with that, 
uh, that brings the, well, I'll, I'll go down the line before I say the consensus. Donnie gave it three and a quarter stars. Uh, you give it two and a half. Smoke gave it three and a half stars. And then I gave it two and a half. So you and I are on the same uh, wavelength there. But the total consensus score was 2.94. So, you know, you round up. That's about three stars. So I think we all kind of come to the same conclusion in different ways that we enjoyed it for various reasons. And we dec- definitely recommend you watching it. I'm curious uh, to watch, you know, say the next installment of uh, Phantasm at some point, Phantasm 2, because from what I understand, that one picks up pretty much right from the very end of Phantasm, although it was smoke nine years later when they made Phantasm 2. What was, you had the year, I know it was 79, right, for uh, I Phantasm. Say, I want to say it was 88 without looking it up. I want to say it was 1988 when Phantasm 2 came out, so it was some time later is the point, but I think that being said, the movie picks up right from the yeah, yeah. <laughs> the end of yeah. that one, even though it is nine years later in real life. Yeah, it's a gap. It's a, yeah, a gap in real life, but right, right, yeah. right up. But then part three, I can't remember now if that, how part three ties in as far as the timeline goes. But uh, as far as the films themselves, I think part two, once you get that, I think, it, I think you'll enjoy it at least as much as the first one. Then we get to the third one. That's a bit, it's mm-hmm. fun, but it's like they got some outrageous type like characters and things in that yeah. movie. And beyond that, I haven't seen the other two. I haven't seen part four or five yet. So when we get to those, those will be new to me as well. If nothing else, like I said then, and I'll reiterate, like I'd like to see that just to see if it makes the first one make a little bit more sense or not. Maybe it fills in some of the gaps and makes some of that make some sense, you know, what you saw at the end there. So I'm interested in seeing it for, you know, for that reason alone. Um, so we move on to what we did last week, the big Lebowski and our latest installment of the Colt corner series. Um, Will, what do you, I mean, obviously we're not doing the kill count and the gore score and all that for that because it's the cult movies, but uh, what's your star rating on that one and thoughts and all that? Oh man, I I love this movie. I'll give it a, I'll give it four and a quarter stars. God, every, every character is, you know, like somewhat got screen time is memorable in this movie. It's one of those that it kind of grabs you from the, from the first watch and then you just want to watch it again, learn some of the lines, you know, so you can repeat them later. Yep. And we have over the years. We don't, all of us. I know we have. You said it, man. <laughs> Nobody fucks with. <laughs> now that's you talk about like the small ancillary characters. We talked about him briefly, like uh, John Turturro's character, Jesus Quintana. How like that's if you think back on it, it's a really small role. Like he only, I think okay. he only appears twice, and it's like probably a what two three minutes max, you know. But it's a very memorable role enough so that they made he made another movie called Jesus Rolls. I think it was what it was called. They came out just like 2019, 2020, something like that, that I don't think any of us had seen. Have you seen that one? No, I haven't. Um, I did watch an interview with him, though, where he was talking about, like, uh, especially with most of his his roles, you know, he kind of gets free reign because he's such an amazing actor. But on that one, it was just like, look, uh, this is your character. Uh, This is kind of where we want it to go. But past that go away, do your thing and just come back and surprise us. So he <laughs> literally, literally had like free reign with that character. He mm-hmm. could have came back with anything. Well, he makes the most of his, you know, two or three minutes of screen time. Cause you know, it definitely, it definitely stands out. A lot of, a lot of good, a lot of good roles in that one. Just great lines. Great movie. Oh. And, and what you just said, four and a quarter jives with everything else we said. Donnie gave it a perfect five. I think that's only the second time in the history of the spook show, right? Other than like, you know, our different scale over on, uh, uh, craps uh, can- for peace. well, uh, yeah, well, craps for peace. That's a whole different thing, but cannon fodder is what I was thinking of. 
where we do the cannonball rating. So it's kind of it's kind of a weird cannon sliding cannon scale over there. That kind of doesn't it doesn't go kind of like with this, right? <laughs> I, I think the cannon fodder has it kind of its own thing. Craftsterpiece obviously does, but even Colt Corner really because it's hard to compare these cult movies like Big Lebowski and the Warriors to a lot of the other movies that we watched here on the show. Right. So you know they all kind of have their own little scales, but yeah. Donnie gave it a perfect five. Uh, of course, you just gave it four and a quarter stars. Smoke gave it four and a half stars, and I gave it five, four and a half stars. So, yeah, needless to say, we all love this movie. Consensus score of 4.56 from all four of us. So <laughs> go run out and not just watch it. Go buy it. Because if, <laughs> if, if you listen to this show, frankly, you're, you know, you've know you probably already seen The Big Lebowski, but if for whatever reason you haven't, what the fuck? Go. Just go buy it. <laughs> And, and and just enjoy it because you're you know I, I don't see how you wouldn't like that movie man um yeah and, man <laughs> well, that, well that's like your opinion man um yeah but anyways that brings us uh current uh up to session nine which is what we're going to be talking about today i guess uh but you know before we get into the background information and all that uh, i'll go ahead and toss out the usual information you can contact us at all american spook show at gmail.com you can find us on twitter facebook instagram slasher app uh, you should be able to, uh, on Twitter, we're at AA Spook Show. You should be able to find all those in the Linktree link down below in the show notes. Our YouTube page, uh, where we have um, uh, Deadline Horror News every Wednesday night live at 9 p.m. East. And, of course, we have our Public page, where you can get the latest, uh, uh, you know, designs and logo merchandise and all. That's all available there. And, of course, patreon.com slash AA Spook Show where you get, uh, you know, if you become a patron of the show, I think it's at the $5 level, you get bonus episodes such as Crapster Peace Theater, Spook Show Rewind, um, uh, other stuff for lower levels, all kinds of cool stuff. You just need to go over to patreon.com slash Show and check that out. Like I said, once again, all the links to these things are down in the link tree link down below in the show notes. So without any further ado, I'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for Session 9. construction crews in here by Columbus Day, so you got to guess for a minute how long? I've got four really good guys. One week, we're gone. That's fast. I need the job. So the loonies are outside in the real world, and here we are with the keys to the loony bin, boys. <laughs> Might actually want to be grateful, and you're about to make some decent money. What's the catch? Patricia Willard scandal, 1984. <laughs> I want you to try to remember what happened 24 years ago. Use your imagination. The shrinks figured that with these new techniques they designed, they could release hidden memories. You can hear me. You okay? I want to go home. I wouldn't tell anybody about this. If they find out about Hank, they're going to find out about the others. We'd have the others. When I come home, I am so sorry. All right, there's the trailer for that. So um, I guess first, right right out the gate, we'll just kind of talk about some of the background information here so we can get into the discussion of it. And, and I think this one's going to be a little different from 
in a lot of ways from from our normal fare. Um, and you know, we'll, we'll dig into that here shortly. But session nine was released July 31st, 2001, in Canada at the Fantasia International Film Festival. That's where it made its debut. But here in the United States, it had a limited theatrical run uh, when it was released August 10th of 2001. So this uh, what almost exactly a month before 9/11 happened. I, I don't even like. I know I definitely hadn't watched it. I'm not even sure smoke. I'd even heard of this movie, and I'm, I'm just thinking. What reminded me, what made me think of that was 9-11. Like, I think a lot of things kind of got swept under the rug at that time period because of stuff that was going on, you know? So, like, unless you really had your ear to the ground, you know, like, a lot of things just kind of, like, out of sight, out of mind for a little while there after that, right? Yeah, I don't know if this film was how big it was. I, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it on, at that time, I probably rented it from Hollywood Video. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if it had any run in the theater. And if it was any time around, when did you say it? How far was it between? Uh, well, it actually got a limited theatrical release in the U.S. August tenth, two thousand one. So, like, like I said, that was almost exactly a month before nine eleven. So, I'm just wondering if that had anything to do with maybe some people not hearing about it, or myself, or you know, anything. Maybe it just kind of got tossed to the side, you know. So, unless you're looking for it, you probably didn't see this. You know, is what I'm thinking. I don't even remember when I first saw it. I don't think I. I'm pretty sure it probably wasn't brand new. I might. It might have been a year or more afterwards. You know that I saw it too, or that it came to my attention as well. But I mean, it was sometime back then. I mean, it was not too, too long after 2001, might've been 2002 or three or whatever. Uh, it was but, yeah. pro- probably sometime in 2002, because I- I'll, I'll just make note here. It's a good, good enough place to mention it. It was released, uh, USA films and universal home entertainment released a DVD of this on February 26, 2002. So that like, you know, that's what, Oh yeah. About four or okay. five months after nine 11 or whatever, you know, the time period, and then it was released on Blu-ray August of 2016 by Scream Factory. Um, mm-hmm. I watched this personally on Shudder, although as that was as before we recorded this. As as of the time that actually we recorded this and it got released, last I checked, it it got taken off of Shudder, <laughs> like at the beginning of May. So I'm not sure right offhand uh, if and where it is available streaming as we speak. But, you know, since it is, it did get out there once, it might get out there again. So, yeah, I just looked it up and I'm not seeing it anywhere right now as of, you know, the recording and airing of this, of this uh, episode. So, this is, might be one you need to go buy one of those old DVDs or uh, pick up that Scream Factory Blu-ray if you want to check it out. But I think you can rent it uh, and buy it over on like Amazon Prime, YouTube, stuff like that. So, you know, there, there are other ways to watch it, but uh, as far as like the subscribing, you know, streaming platforms, uh, it doesn't look like it's out right now. But anyways, yeah, like uh, this one just kind of escaped me at the time. And um, I ha- I'm i glad you picked this one because, you know, I- I'm always interested in ones that I haven't seen or really heard much about. So, uh, but we'll get into that here shortly. But uh, like I said, it had that U.S. limited theatrical release that started August 10th, 2001. And that was pr- uh, produced by USA Films, Scout Productions, and October Films. And it was also distributed by USA Films. Uh, best I can tell, it had an estimated budget of about $1.5 million, so $1.5 million budget, and grossed $1.6 million. So uh, if these numbers hold true, they made about hundred grand off of it. <laughs> but I'm sure it did, you know, once again, we said it was a limited theatrical release, and I'm sure that's what it's, you know, taking into account. And I'm sure it probably made way more on the uh, home video sales in the years afterwards. Uh, it was rated R, total runtime of one hour and 37 minutes. One thing I should mention that I've got pulled up here is that it actually, uh, 
uh, was nominated and won a couple of awards. Uh, in 2002 at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, it actually uh, was nominated. In particular, Peter Mullen was uh, nominated for Best Actor uh, at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards that year. And it was also nominated for Best Limited Release slash Direct-to-Video Film. It did not win either one of those. Um, at the Fright Meter Awards, which I don't think I've ever heard of that one, it actually won, in 2001, it actually won uh, the Best Horror Movie. And then also in 2001, uh, it won Best Director and Best Film. Best Director going to Brad Anderson at the Catalonian International Film Festival. At that event... I think it's Spain. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it might be Spain. May, maybe. I'm, not, I'm really not sure. I didn't even think to look that up exactly where that is, but we'll go with it. Um, but yeah, it won Best Director and Best Film that year at that film festival. So it does have a couple of accolades on its, uh, on its uh, plus ledger there. Like we just mentioned, it was directed by Brad Anderson. Uh, Brad Anderson would best be known for uh, this. Uh, he, he directed Trans-Siberian, uh, The Machinist, uh, Stonehurst Asylum. I've heard good things about The Machinist. I don't think I ever sat down and watched that with uh, Christian Bale. That's what I need to get around to myself. I know one thing. For, I mean, I've seen it, but it's been a while. But one thing, he, he lost all that weight that you see him if you ever do watch the movie. I mean, he's like super skinny and, you know, mm -hmm. he's a method actor, so... He went through a bunch of rigorous, you know, weight loss stuff to get that way, I guess. He's got 48 uh, directing credits over on IMDb, so, you know, well-versed uh, in, in several genres. But those will be the ones he's most known for. Um, let's see, going through the, the top cast here, it stars David Caruso as Phil. Um, anytime I ever think of him, I always think he's the uh, one of the cops from First Blood. <laughs> I know he's he's been in tons of other movies and shows and stuff, but, like, for whatever reason, every time I think of David Caruso, I think of First Blood. Stephen Gevden as Mike. Paul Gilfoyle as Bill Griggs. Uh, Josh Lucas as Hank. And uh, Peter Mullen, who we just mentioned, you know, got that nomination there as Gordon Fleming. Brendan Sexton III as Jeff. And then, uh, really as a small part towards the end, Larry Fissenden as Craig McManus. Uh, they mention him a lot in the movie, and then when he shows up, <laughs> towards the end, we'll get into that. But uh, that, that's, that's your main cast. He's a director. Mm -hmm. He's the horror movies on, uh, you know, of his own or whatever, including the pretty terrible version of the Wendigo tale, <laughs> which we need to get around to over on Crapster Peace Theater. Apparently, yeah, that might be might be a place for. It. I mean, Hart was in the right place. He, he could have made a better movie, but unfortunately, you know, probably Crapster Peace might be where that lands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it was written by Brad Anderson and uh, Stephen Gevden who played Mike. It was also produced by Dorothy Afario, David Collins, and uh, Michael Williams, and the executive producer was John Sloss. So just to throw those out there. Now, Donnie will be back hopefully next week, and uh, maybe we'll get his uh, connections from the crypt on uh, you know tying this movie to other episodes or whatever that he normally does, and, of course, the star writing and everything. But, yeah, was there anything you know, other else you guys want to talk about as far as the background is concerned here before we uh, get into the meat and potatoes of the film itself? Uh, one, one of the things that I saw, like, I, I don't know, it's, I, they didn't really mention it in the movie, but uh, apparently the, the town where this hospital is, is actually the town where the Salem witch trials took place. Hmm. I didn't dig deep into the uh, where they filmed this at, but uh, now that you mentioned that, I just saw it. Uh, Denver State Hospital is in Danvers, Massachusetts. Uh, Sapino's Restaurant uh, in Danvers, Massachusetts. 
Yeah, it looks like, and then in Lynn, Massachusetts, Gordon's house. So it looks like uh, pretty much all of it was there in Danvers, Massachusetts. So I guess that's what you're referencing is where uh, they had some uh, the Salem witch trials at, right? Yeah, I have some. Uh, uh, well, once we, I guess we, I can talk a little bit about Danvers once we get into the show a little bit. Once we get into the asylum part of it and all that, but uh, but yeah, the one tie-in also with the Salem witch trials was where that property that the Danvers State Hospital is on is. Because uh, that's an actual institution, and that's the real name of the institution, too. And uh, it was built on the grounds that was once owned by a Salem witch trial judge, uh, Hawthorne, to get his first name. But his last name was Hawthorne. And the actual place that the institute was built on was called Hawthorne Hill in Danvers. I mean, in Danvers, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. There's another tie-in with the uh, Salem witch trials. But, uh, I mean, we could talk about the Danvers now, or should we wait until we get into the show a little bit more? No, I mean, go for it. I mean, my, now's as good a time as any to go ahead and talk talk about it a bit. So yeah, that uh, that exteriors and I'm guessing the interiors as well, because uh, Danvers was abandoned. I guess at the time they were shooting this movie. I think since I believe it's been turned into some sort of living community now, like apartments or some sort or whatever. I think they tore down most of it. They may. I haven't seen a recent photo. I don't know what they kept. I know they tore down a good portion of it. Maybe they kept the. I'm, I don't want to speculate. If, I mean, if it were me, I would have kept that Gothic architecture of the main building or whatever, and then built off that. So, I, but I don't know what they did for the apartments. But at the time they shot this, it was still all standing as it was when it was built back in 1874. And uh, it's called Danvers State Hospital. Uh, there's some other names for it, uh, some less savory names, I guess, like uh, Lunatic State Lunatic Asylum of Danvers or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of names for it that had the word lunatic in the title of it. like, And then, you know, of course, the more professional one was the Danvers State Hospital or Danvers State Insane Asylum. Yeah, like I said, built in 1874. It was like a Victorian Gothic architecture. It looks really awesome for the outside. The inside, apparently, you know, there was <laughs> a bunch of not awesome stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, first, I guess, in the, you know, from about 1874 to, well, it took four years to build. So I guess 1878. To about uh, 1920 or so, it had a good reputation as a good hospital. It had like the capacity was like I think 500 patients, 450 to 500 patients. Uh, but sometime around 1920 or so, well, from 1900 to 1920, the population swelled up to 2,000 <laughs> patients by about wow. 1920. So massive overcrowding. Patients would be walking around the halls naked, unattended in their own, you know, filth and stuff in their rooms and whatnot, because they didn't have enough workers to take care of that many people as they needed to. So, uh, so then, you know, the reputation, of course, declined. Uh, they, they wanted state funding. State wouldn't help them out getting them any more uh, wings built or anything like that. So uh, they basically started doing things like shock therapy on the patients to try and, you know, get them in line. Well, you know how that went as far as shock mm. therapy. It ended up being a not a, a good method of you know treating mental health, of course. And then after the shock therapy wasn't working, about 1939 or so, whenever lobotomies started to, I can't remember the name of the doctor, but whoever it was that came up with the, the technique of lobotomizing patients, they applied that full-time at, uh, at Danvers, and they were lobotomizing them from about 1940 for a number of years. And these lobotomized patients would be walking around the halls unattended as well, you know, and just basically in a vegetable form, you know. So at that point, that uh, for them, lobotomies work, you know, like they didn't have to deal with the patients anymore. I mean, it's a terrible, it's a terrible procedure. And, you know, it was 
ousted as such, you know, later on. So uh, later on, you know, eventually that ended up shutting down. They didn't have any more funding. So they had to release a lot of these patients into some other facilities for care. And unfortunately, as is mentioned in the movie, some of those were released back into the community. And you know, they, some of them didn't have anywhere to go. Some of them did have family, whatever the case may be. You know, they didn't get the treatment they necessarily needed. They just got released. And, and but like some of them did go to some other institutions in the area, I guess. And then uh, kind of fell into disrepair and it was just sitting there for the longest time. Uh, when they shot this movie, it was 2000, I guess 2000, maybe thereabouts. And then by 2007, I believe, is when they had knocked down some po- some good portion of it. And when they started doing the apartment building, I believe it was. So that's some of the background information I had on day. De- oh, one other thing, too, before we go into anything else was H.P. Uh, Lovecraft for fans. I don't know. There's a lot of H.P. Lovecraft fans in, uh, among our you know viewers, listeners. He based Arkham State or Arkham Sanitarium within his short stories on Danvers state hospital and he even mentioned danvers in uh two of his stories by name it was a uh, pigman's model and the shadow of Rinsman. and then of course conversely uh batman dc comics they based their arkham asylum on lovecraft's arkham sanitarium which is based on danvers so, <laughs> so by, that, by that token danvers appears in the batman universe yeah as well. <laughs> two or three degrees of separation to batman yeah. not bad um, also, I found uh, two wings were saved along with the main building. Yeah, I, I looked it up, and like it looks like there is. It, um, I, when I looked at the map, it was like a regional center or something like that, and then there was some some type of apartments or something like next door. But I don't think I'd want to live there. Would you? What do it? That's like that, you know, I have knowledge I of I found, horrible uh, shit. Let me move in. I think I found one other name. It's the uh, facility for the ugly. <laughs> wait a minute wait a minute are you saying this is where the garbage pail kids were were, were kept hey man you said it i didn't you <laughs> wow said that's what that's what you it, come it here for the spook show breaking news <laughs> <laughs> that's why you heard all the different voices in the in the not such a nine recording <laughs> <laughs> it's the garbage pail kids that, that they decided to just fucking burn or whatever they did to the <laughs> remember in the movie that was Oh, yeah, there were some more Garbage Pail Kids here, but they're all gone and dead, so they just smashed them or something. I don't know what they did to them. <laughs> Maybe that... They optimized them. They, uh, no. they it's tying all together. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, remember in the movie, there's the you know the morgue, the incinerator, right? That's where they, they took the other Garbage Pail Kids right there. Lobotomized Larry, all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one, one other note that I found when you were uh, saying that smoke, you know, talking about the background there, they did film this September 23rd, 2000 through October of 2000. So I guess a few weeks, uh, may, maybe a month or so there in, uh, uh, 2000. So that's, that's when it took place. And that's where now correct me if I'm wrong. Did they say that this was Danvers in the movie or did they call it something else? Cause I really don't recall. They called it Danvers. Okay. I, I just, I couldn't I, remember what they called it. I didn't pay attention as close to what he was talking about as far as the years it was open and all that stuff to see if that was correct. Well, I mean, was- based on what I remembered from watching the movie, you know, cause I just watched it last night as we recorded this and what you just said, it does kind of sound like they were throwing out real, <laughs> some real facts there, you know, about the, the history of the hospital. So yeah, I know that they mentioned, one thing you mentioned was the layout was like a bat's wings. And then, you know, then he does that impression of a bat, ooh, ooh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is blade out that way the actual you know and then with that also i didn't mention it but that's called the kirkbridge plan I believe it was you know that that layout 
of the the wings being you know going out like that. Mm-hmm. That was some uh, plan that they built a lot of hospitals on in the late nineteenth century. A lot of you know sanitarium. Well, that that's pretty cool that you know we were that you were able to pull that information and kind of match it up because it really did sound like you know they were kind of laying down some you know some facts yeah. there. I'm sure they took some uh, you know some uh, what do they call that uh, creative freedoms with some of that but still yeah it sounds like it pretty much jives with what they were saying so that's cool so i guess we'll you know i'm not going to go into the ins and outs deep here but i am going to read a couple of uh uh, you know however you want to phrase it plot summaries plot synopsis that this has kind of become i think it's going to kind of become our new thing people uh put their own kind of summaries and synopsis on imdb so i'm just going to read read two or three of those instead and we'll let that kind of tell the story for us and then we'll get into it with our little roundtable discussion um, this first one, I guess it's just the generic one that IMDb puts up. Uh, tensions rise within an, within an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. So, I mean, that really just that one sentence, you know, pretty well, you know, <laughs> encapsulates the movie, although there are a lot of details there, but that, that's pretty much the gist of it. This one says, uh, now this one was put up by John Reeves uh, on IMDb. It says, an asbestos abatement crew wins the bid for an abandoned insane asylum. What should be a straightforward, if rather rushed, job is complicated by the personal histories of the crew. In particular, Hank is dating Phil's old girlfriend, and Gordon's new baby seems to be unnerving him more than should be expected. Things get more complicated as would-be lawyer Mike plays the tapes from a former patient with multiple personalities, including the mysterious Simon, who does not appear until session 9, and as Hank disappears after finding some old coins. So that that's a pretty good, although it doesn't really, you know, uh, mess with the end there at all, which, you know, we'll get into that here in just a few minutes. Um, but that's a pretty good explanation. And I'll just read one more since it's a little longer and it might, you know, encapsulate some, uh, some other things that not mentioned there. Uh, this one was posted on IMDb by Claudio Carvulho uh, from Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. Uh, the owner of a small asbestos abatement company, Gordon Fleming, needs to work and accepts to remove the asbestos of the abandoned Danvers State Hospital, a mental institution that is closed since 1985 in one week. He has a baby girl and has some personal problems with his wife, Wendy, calling her on his cellular. Gordon and his partner, Phil, need to bring more workers to accomplish the schedule, and Hank, Mike, and Jeff join the team. Phil does not like Hank that has stolen his girlfriend. Mike is a law school dropout. And Jeff has fear of the dark. Mike finds a sealed box tagged with the word evidence. And when he opens, he finds nine taped sessions of the patient Mary Hobbs that had multiple personalities. Uh, Those uh, personalities are the princess, Billy, and Simon. Mike listens to the tapes and none of the personalities wants to talk about Simon. However, in session nine, Simon finally appears and he discovers that he is evil. Meanwhile, Hank finds ancient silver coins and disappears. <laughs> That's somewhat of a, a simplification of that part of it, right? <laughs> but I think, you know, for the, th- through those three descriptions, you get the point of what's going on here. So, Time for refreshment. Refreshment. For your enjoyment, there's hot, fresh popcorn, tempting, delicious hot dogs, and so many kinds of ice cream. And, of course, sparkling, delicious Ice-cold Coca-Cola for everybody at the refreshment counter now. I guess we can go ahead and uh, 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 get in, get into the details and, the, and you know, or the roundtable discussion ourselves. So where do you want to start? Which one of you, want, <laughs> which one of you wants to tackle this one first? What do you think? <laughs> well, first of all, 
did, would you say that he really won the bid? I mean, did they really win? <laughs> Probably in retrospect, maybe it, maybe they should have lost this job to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> you should have tackled the next one that came along. Maybe it would be like a convenience store or something. Maybe this is going, maybe this is going straight for the, you know, for the, uh, the home run right out the gate, you know, straight for the gut. Is there supernatural to play here? Well, me personally, I don't, I'll give you, well, I'll give you my view of, I, I don't think so. And I think one thing that this movie plays on and other movies of a psychological nature is that mental illness is fucking scary when you put it in a movie, as opposed to scary in real life. <laughs> I mean, things, you know, things that play on the mind and, you know, you can test this to yourself if you ever had to do things like, you know, say you you might not have fear of the dark or what is it? What is he called? What is it called? Nyctophobia? Yeah, whatever. That sounded fake to me, but we'll go. <laughs> Maybe that's what it's called. I don't know. It sounded like I just made that up. A phobia. <laughs> <laughs> Although when he said it and he said, I have fear of the dark. Every time I hear that, if I hear the term fear of the dark, Iron Maiden starts playing on my head automatically. But that's neither here nor there. But yeah, the whole psychological thing is to me scarier when you play, when you add that in the movie, say than ghosts or werewolves or vampires and things of that nature. I love all those things. And they don't necessarily scare me. I mean, it, it might have some jump scares, some, you know, a little bit of creepiness in those types of movies. But when it comes to psychological, mental health type stuff, that it, that can, you know, play with your mind more. And I think uh, Stephen King did that well when he did The Shining, where, he, you know, elements of mental illness combined with a ghost story really made that and that movie and that book, uh, you know, scary in its own way or creepy or what, however you want to play it, you know, say it or whatever. So, but I, you know, to answer that, I don't, I personally don't feel like there was anything psychological going on, but what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I felt everything was, you know, fairly on the up and up. I don't think there was anything supernatural going on. I think. Sorry, did I uh, say, I meant supernatural. Yeah. I think I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was a, a psychological shit going on. <laughs> it was all you, you, you did. You, that's what you said, but I was going to just brush over that and move on. But yeah. <laughs> I think we know what you mean. Yeah. yeah, no, no. I think I think it's interesting that the same voice that uh, Mary was having for Simon uh, in the recordings sounds to me like the same voice that uh, Gordon is hearing throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess maybe that would be the closest thing to supernatural, but it could also just be, yeah. You know, I just crazy I, being crazy. I, I say that because like they kind of lead you down a path where you, you could go either way with it. Right. You could like smoke said, well, this yeah. is all this dude just lost his fucking mind because of things going on with his wife and his kid. And then, you know what we'll discuss here in just a second with that. But, or you could say, well, whatever, whatever happened to that girl, Mary, you know, uh, 30, 40 years prior or whatever. Um, she had multiple personalities. One of them was Simon and Simon was evil. And now Simon is somehow, some supernatural thing that lives in this hospital and it got in this dude's head when they came in there. Right. I mean, you could go either way with it. Yeah. I guess specifically like when, when they cracked open the box, I mean, that, that meant that looked like it was meant to be significant. Well, yeah. Cause like, you know, right, like they when played he, some sounds and did a little slow-mo. So yeah, he cut and it like and then like they all, it. he cut it and then they all reacted in different ways. Like at that, right at that moment. Right. Like right. a couple of them got yeah. hurt or something and, kind of turn around like, huh? You know, like that. <laughs> Clever editing? Or? Past that, it didn't really affect any of them past that individually. Other than maybe, I mean, it didn't affect them psychologically, whatever, but what's the, what's the guy's name that was listening to the tapes? Hank? Oh, no, 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 that was Mike. Mike. 
Hank, I, yeah. Hank I mean, was the he, guy that was like, you know, trying to go get the coins and stuff. He was, he needed to find out they were in the process of looking for Hank and they knew they saw Hank and all that. And then he, Mike still decided, well, Hey, I heard a sound down in the basement. You hear that? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't hear it. Okay, we'll look for him. Mike. I'm going to go check it out. Finish session nine or whatever. Like he was like really into finding out about this stuff. So it had some kind of hold on him, you know? Yeah. And then there was like the subtle clues of, uh, throughout the movie. Once you think back and you look at it or when you get to, when you start getting towards the end of the movie and you start putting the pieces together, like, oh, fuck, you know, he's done this, this guy, Gordon, who's like the leader of the crew, he's done something and he's around and they keep flashing back to him, like with the flowers and the groceries and he's getting out of his car and he walks toward his house. And if you notice one of the groceries is like a, a bottle of Jif peanut butter. And then when Hank is down there picking up the coins or whatever, and he's walking around down himself, he finds an empty jar of Jif peanut butter. So then you start thinking like, wait a minute, like, you know, and he sees some shadowy figure, so maybe you think it's him, or, or, or they lead you to believe that it's uh, the other guy. I'm thinking David Caruso's character. Um, so right. yeah, you know because yeah. they have beef, right? Him and Hank, uh, Phil, Phil, Phil and Hank have beef because uh, supposedly Hank stole girl, uh, Phil's girlfriend. So they lead you to believe that, but in reality, I guess it was uh, Gordon that just went off the deep end. I think yep. really the conversation is whether you think it's supernatural or not. In my opinion, this whole movie because like. Cause that's where it leads you, you know, one way or the other and what happened with his family. Now we have, I mean, pretty much, uh, you know, we are a spoiler filled podcast. So, you know, we'll throw that out right out the gate. Um, but the way this movie ends is basically Gordon kills his the four dudes. Well, five, I guess right? there's four main guys that are in his crew, Phil, Mike, um, Hank, and then what's his, uh, his nephew, Jeff, right? He kills all them. And then the, the other, the fifth guy shows up. So they mentioned throughout the movie, the character played by Larry Fessenden, Craig, Craig McManus, they keep mentioning him like, yeah, we need to bring this guy in. Cause he's better than Hank or whatever. Cause Phil and Hank have the beef. Then as soon as he shows up, <laughs> Gordon kills him, you know, in that final scene. So then you're led to, but you never see it on, on film, but you're led to believe that Gordon has went home. And this is what causes this and snaps and kills his wife and his kid. Right. Yeah. Like I said, you don't see it. So am I right in assuming that I think this is what's happening now? Wait, repeat that again. Gordon, the head guy Mm -hmm. that he went home and he killed his wife and kid. You don't see it happen, but I think I'm safe, safely assuming that he did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the screaming at the beginning of the movie. Well, I mean, they play that scene multiple times where he walks in you know, you never see it. All you right. see is his wife and his kid outside. He's across the street. And then she picks the baby up. They both, or like, I guess they kind of look at him. And then they turn around and walk into the house. And there's a pot of water boiling on the stove. And Gordon gets out of the car with the gro- with the groceries and the flowers and walks into the house. That's all you ever see. The wife, by the way, whoever played the wife, she had the easiest part in the movie. Right? <laughs> all she had to do was just pick the kid up and walk in the house, like, and then just replay that over and over again. I think I don't even think you see her at any other point. But my point is, is that like that's the main thing of this whole movie, right? So like, really, you just come away with it. Was it supernatural or not? So I don't know if we can come to any conclusions on that, but I think that's kind of where the conversation starts and stops. To be honest with you, is what I'm getting at. There's not. I think I think it, I think you said it right the first time too, and the director kind of leads you to make up your own mind on it. Yeah, you know, you could say, well, this guy Gordon, he, he's stre- he's stressed out, 
you know, he just had a child and I guess he's having marital issues as well. Money. He needs it probably financially wise, you yeah. know, he needs it because, you know, he's got the baby and all that stuff now. And all these, st- this stress is just piling, compiling on him. And then he breaks, snaps and has a mental breakdown and all that. And then he does what he does to the wife and kid and to the rest of his crew. It, there's that. And then, like you said, there's the aspect of, well, or, or it is supernatural when they cracked open that session, that box of the tapes or whatever, whatever quote unquote ghost spirit, whatever of this person or his personalities or whatever happened, got into Gordon somehow. So I mean, I think he does a good job of mixing it up and let you make yeah, your mind. I mean, and, and like, Will, you said, Gordon's hearing a voice, you know, throughout yeah. the movie, he's hearing a voice and it does sound kind of like Simon that you hear on the tape, right. You know, that you don't hear until the end. I, I don't know. I don't know where I land. I mean, I, I can see it either way. I, I tend to think that it's, I tend to think that it, it could very well be supernatural here, but I mean, because, and, and, and one reason, and one of the other reasons I would say that too, is because why would he go off and kill his crew like that? Like just because you've lost your mind and, you know, killed your family, one doesn't necessarily beget the other, right? Like, yeah. Well, you, you just kind of kicked off something else in my mind that, that that I tied together and didn't even link before was the shining. <laughs> yeah. You know, because that is there's it's ghost, but it's also a mental thing as well. And it's the whole family issue of like, you know, he was fine until pretty much fine. I mean, they had their marital issues in that movie, too. But he was, you know, he was sane and everything was fine until they got there. And then this place did it to him in the shining. Yeah, yeah. And that, that you can kind of say the same thing about this movie, I guess. And I would say the, the, the hospital definitely plays as a, a character in this. Oh, yeah. 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 Like that shot they keep showing, which is a cool shot. But like a lot, uh, this is shot. The whole movie shot very well, by the way. But that one shot down the hallway where there's like a wheelchair sit down. Oh, and yeah. They keep coming back to and the chairs right in front of that room. So I'm guessing. I don't know. There's a lot of things that you think about when we're just sitting here talking about it. Like that room that the wheelchair was in front of. They finally went into that room. And there was pictures of Gordon's family, like uh, stuck up on the wall. Are we to assume that Gordon did that? I assume so, right? Or was my assumption? Yes. Um, That's what, because but, I don't think they were there at the beginning of the movie. But yeah, they weren't. And remember, they even went in that room when the, the guy, uh, uh, Bill Griggs or whatever, came around and was, you know, all right, this room is this, and this is what they did here. You know, kind of explaining the whole joint. And that, those weren't on the wall then. Obviously, they would have, you know, you would have noticed that. They would have noticed that, whatever. But I, I only say that's because his nephew. Jeff that he hires, he says something about, Hey, the pictures came back from the christening, you know, and mm-hmm. boy, that baby looks pissed. Something like, right. Whatever the line was. So, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't make sense that Jeff would have took those pictures and hang them up there. So we assume somewhere in there that Jeff brings the pictures to Gordon and Gordon hangs those on the wall. Cause that's what the pictures are mostly or of the baby's christening. Right. Mm-hmm. Also, the other thing that, those pictures look, did they, did they not look like they had blood on them around the edges of yeah, some of them and whatnot? Enough, like maybe. Well, the, then, it, yeah, but the, wasn't there like some, like a can of red paint or something like that on the ground? Yeah. Well, and even if it wasn't, I mean, this guy's went through and killed his family. So, <laughs> you know, there's nothing to say that they don't have pictures at home that he's grabbing. Yeah. You, you've presented us a conundrum here, smoke. This one's, uh, <laughs> I, I'll say this one's different from, most everything we've watched. I mean, there's, there's a few that compare, I guess, like the shining and a few others, but this one, this isn't necessarily one we, we poke fun at like we normally do. With <laughs> there's not, I'm sitting there even like, cause usually when I make my notes, I'm like, Oh, that's funny. I'm going to point this out or, or what the hell? And I'm going to point this out. But this one was just like, I'm just sitting there watching it. Like, wow, what the fuck? 
there's really nothing to point out here. You know, there's a few, a few small things like uh, the dude well, follows follows the trail of coins. Now, what's up with that? The whole coins thing. So I'm assuming some of that is just shit that got burned up with people, right? Like, so it's falling out of the uh, where they burn the bodies and stuff. And jewelry in there too, right? So probably just I don't know about the coins necessarily, but I assumed it was just like this hole that they shoved a bunch of patients' belongings and things into. Or there was something up above that they just dumped them down and they fell down there. Or yeah, but the other side of that, remember, like they never go into that room, right? They never go to the other side. But remember, we as the viewer see the other side of that brick wall is the morgue. And right there it says like caution hot or something, right? So I'm assuming this is where they burn the bodies and shit. So I guess these coins and it's all this other stuff is just like shit that fell off bodies and maybe got to the back of it or whatever. And then this dude just comes along and who would have placed the coins like that though? Yeah, the coins, I'm not sure. The coins are just a because there was a lot of them. <laughs> they were just falling out of the hole like a shit. You know, it's like a trail of them, too. It's like, oh, here's here's one from 1884, 1883, and he just keeps following them. And then there's like, yeah. you know, 10 coins just like stuck in the bricks, and he kind of jiggles a little or pulls the brick out, and then all of a sudden it's just like he just hit the jackpot in Vegas. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then in there, like you said, he keeps digging around. There's like gold teeth and uh, yeah, yeah, eyeballs. Yeah. Like, is that the back corner of the crematorium? You know, like... That's what I'm saying, yeah. This is where, you know, like, ashes, you know, whatever doesn't make it to, a, you know, an urn mm-hmm. ends, up, ends up going. I guess so. I mean, it's the only thing that really makes sense. Are you supposed to assume that they would burn with it? I mean, I, would, I, don't know how, I don't know how this stuff goes, but I would figure they would take jewelry and all that stuff off of a body before they burn it, I would yeah. assume. And it was a mental asylum. Like, how many mental patients are going to have coins and... Yeah, jewelry yeah. and stuff on them, right? That throws me off that many coins. Just, I mean, if it was a few coins or a handful of coins or whatever, but I mean, yeah, like I said, pouring out of the wall when he pulled the brick out yeah. like a jackpot. It was put like there on, stuff. like it was put there on purpose. Yeah, yeah. So if it was, who put it there? Yeah, that part's a little. Like, Did, like I said, I can see the jewelry and the, the rings and things of that nature of a personal, you know, that would be on a person that they might would, for whatever reason, stuff somewhere or whatever, or. <laughs> For whatever reason, that they burned the body down and the rings were on there and it was in the ashes and they all ended up in that, down yeah. that hole or whatever. But, but yeah, the coins, I don't know. I mean, I guess, is there any chance, you know, coins over the eyes? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. That, mm-hmm. That's that's a possibility. I mean, that makes more sense than like mental patients having pockets full of coins. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't so, like, now, I will say I will say this about the movie, though. Like, the cast, I don't know if, you know, a lot of these guys went on to do a lot of other things, but this cast I felt worked really good together. Mm-hmm. Like I think at the beginning of the movie, you're kind of sitting there at first, like, all right, which one of them's doing it, you know, or is going to do it, you know, is going to flip on the flip side of that comment. While they're all great, like, man, what is up with this odd collection of characters? All right. Here's, here's this guy who's a, who could be a lawyer, but isn't Yeah. here's this guy who could be a doctor. But is it? That, why are these? Why is this collection of guys doing this? Yeah. Like, is it really that lucrative to be an asbestos uh, cleaning crew? <laughs> I, I I would assume probably at one time or another it probably would have been. You know, these days maybe not. Maybe even by the, this might have been the time period where you know people were still able to make a lot of money on that just from these old buildings and stuff. But who knows? I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to presume anything about the asbestos abatement business, but <laughs> I would say there would be some serious money in it, though, you know, because it's dangerous as fuck. There's no lie about it that. It is. That's true. And you have to be specialized. I can I can, I can can attest a little bit of this from work, from where I work there. Uh, 
because there were it was an old plant, old plant, whatever that I work in. Some there are probably some areas that still had asbestos in it. You have to be, of course, very specialized and like trained and in, in removal of it. There's all kinds of different asbestos. It's not like there's just one. There's like friable, whatever that means. Then there's whatever the other versions are. Some of the fibers fly up in the air and you can breathe them in easily. Others where the fibers are are all contained and they're not. But you have to know all these different by looking at it or whatever or testing it. You got to know all these different types of asbestos and how to remove it and what you got to have for personal protective equipment and all that stuff. So, yeah, I would assume that there probably is probably, or like you said, at least was. Yeah. There's probably Good. less places now, right. That would have that than there were even when they made this 22 years ago. So, yeah. Although, like you said, there's still not going to be as much money in that as being a lawyer. <laughs> no, no, exactly. no, no, you're right. Or doctor <laughs> or any of these other things. I, it, you know, as far as the cast is concerned, I'd say David Caruso and Josh Lucas were probably the most successful out of this. All of them, I think, of the main cast, all of them have gone on to have really good careers, like character actors and a lot of stuff. Smoke, did you watch this on a streaming service, or did you watch the DVD? I watched, well, <laughs> I started it on a streaming service. I already had the DVD, but I started watching it, like we were talking about, on uh, Netflix. And I watched part of, half the movie, and then I had to stop for whatever reason. And then I, when I, you know, it disappeared today, well, technically after midnight, yeah, night, yeah. Right. Uh, so when I went to watch it again, it had already been removed. So I had to finish it up, the, the other half of it on DVD. <laughs> Have you ever watched the deleted scenes of this movie? If I did, it was probably, I didn't, not recently I did, but if so, it was back when I first bought the DVD, which probably was way back, years back. Yeah, now, now I haven't seen this, but I've, I've, I've like watched a couple of videos talking about it. Apparently, there are a handful of deleted scenes of this movie, specifically, uh, uh, apparently a homeless woman that uh, lives somewhere in the uh, in the facility and, you know, uh, apparently interacts with some of the guys uh, throughout the movie. And they decided just to completely chop it out. Apparently, during the previewing of this movie. Uh, people were getting confused and wondering, like, is this supposed to be the the girl that you're listening to the tapes of? So they took it out. But that, I think that would have definitely have added uh, a little bit more. Yeah. More death to spookiness. It. Yeah. You know, I, I, it would have been interesting. That would have they should have done that. You know, people are putting that uh, maybe they couldn't have done it blatantly, but they could have left her in there and left it up to the viewer again, like they did with the whole with, with the kind of supernatural versus mental thing. They could have left that up to the viewer to see, hey, is this that girl that was on the tapes or not? And if, I guess for certain audiences that won't work. You know, they want to know information or want to know this stuff. But I mean, I think that, yeah, that would have definitely added a different dimension to it if they had left that in there and let the viewer decide whether this was the person on the tapes. Well, I think uh, either way, this is this was a great choice. And, uh, you know, it, it, we'll go ahead and get into the starring and see what we all thought about it. But, uh, yeah, this was, a, this, I think... Needless to say, I think this was a good pull. If nothing else, for an interesting conversational type of movie. Um, so, well, I'll toss to you first. What's your star rating and thoughts on it? Uh, I'm going to go three and a three and a quarter on this. I wish I could go higher. There, there is a lot of stuff that that I liked about this movie. I liked the location, the lighting, the 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 cast. I, I guess the reason I I personally can't go any higher is just the. I understand it's supposed to be a slow burn, but it's at the beginning, it is a very slow burn as the movie goes on. You know, it does get interesting and, and there are some aspects that are pretty cool. The, the, the twist at the end kind of, I guess, bothered me more than it was supposed to shock me because I feel like those character feel 
Did he not interact with other people throughout the movie? What do you mean? Did he talk to other people? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, remember him and Hank had the beef. But didn't, are, are you to believe that he was a figment of his imagination? I could see where you might think that, but I don't think so. How else are you supposed to read it? That's the way I read it. You mean the, the lead guy, Phil, David Crusoe's character. Right. So you've got Gordon and them two are sitting there talking because he's telling him to wake up the entire time. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's standing two feet from him and then just vanishes. Oh, yeah. When, that, when that, that extra worker comes in. He'd already killed him, right? Or had he killed him at that point before that? Yeah, I don't. It's was it's it's interesting you you brought it up this way because before we were watching the movie, me and my wife, you know, we were trying to remember. I couldn't remember the end. It's been a while for me, so I couldn't remember exactly how it ended. I know I know that it was Gordon, you know, that they were that things were happening to mainly. But also, she was like, "Well, wasn't it? Isn't it in the ending that nobody was really there? It's all in his head. Even the mental hospital is kind of like different compartments in his mind." I don't know where she, got, where she got that from, but I thought that was interesting after the fact. I'm like, well, it's not how it ended up, but just that she would think that was what, what it was. And then I then was questioning myself, too, before we got to the end. Like, I couldn't remember how it ended exactly. And then I was thinking, well, maybe everybody was a figment of, you know, like she was saying. But then when we got to the end, the way I saw it at the end was that David Caruso's character, Phil or whatever, was already he had already killed him. And he's just seeing Phil's, you know, seeing him again in his head because he's, you know, off the deep end or whatever. And then he disappears because yeah, at that point he was a figment of his imagination because he'd already killed him or whatever. That was kind of how I read that part at the end. Now you, you've made some interesting observations there that I almost think this movie deserves another watching. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like now that I know how it is and everything. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I need to sit down and watch. Well, true. It's not on shutter anymore, but maybe I need to sit down and watch it again just to like, you know, Maybe grab a, maybe see it from a different perspective because I didn't really read it yeah, that I, way. But I think I think this is very much a, and I, I'm going to say this movie, and I love this mo- movie a lot more than I did this this one. Nothing against this movie, but it definitely, after getting done watching this, I very much thought Shutter Island. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Similar. There's a lot of similar yeah. things there. Like, like, and, like, and the similarities to The Shining, too, like you've pointed did, out. There's a lot there. Did any of this stuff happen? When did it happen? How did it happen? What am I seeing? I don't know. It's interesting. So where'd you land? I'm sorry. Three and a quarter? That yeah. What All right. Uh, Smoke, what do you say? Uh, yeah. I'm. Uh, oh, and also, before I give the rating, <laughs> there was two other things I thought about. <laughs> this movie was, uh, they're supposed to get this job. And initially, it was going to take maybe three weeks. Then it was going to take two weeks. Then he said he could get it done in one week. They, all they do is sit around and take breaks and talk and all that stuff. Yeah. So they weren't going to get this done in a month or two. <laughs> now, I know I realized that uh, that in order to to further the plot along, they got to conver- they have to converse and do all this stuff. But, yeah. but it's just funny how you never really you only see them working maybe once or twice <laughs> in the entire movie. So yeah. No, <laughs> hey, that's a government job. You, you get the bid, then you take your time. Yeah. <laughs> Like Phil's over here, he's he's out there smoking a joint, and then he gets off his break, and then somebody, then uh, what's his name? Not Hank, but the other guy, uh, Mike, comes in. He says, "Hey, come on, go on break with me. We're gonna do this." And you know, then they go and talk on break or whatever, and it's yeah. like, and it's just through the whole thing. I'm like, wow. Okay. But well, yeah, yeah, I mean, you got to further the any plot serious along, so. any serious work they had only lasted about a day because I think what Hank got missing by the next night. So like, you know, <laughs> the whole thing was fucked about you know less than forty eight hours in. <laughs> Oh, and then the one other thing that was kind of reminded me of another movie, totally not The Shining, not a psychological horror, not you know, not any of the ones we talked about, was when uh, 
Jeff got killed. Jeff had like, you know, he had his fear of the dark thing. And oh, yeah, that was another thing when all the lights were going off because the generator was dying. Yeah. Jeff's in the dark or he's in the light, but he sees the dark. The lights are going out behind him and he's running for his life because yeah. he's got the fear of the dark phobia thing. And then he finally gets outside and he gets to the truck. He's out of breath and all. And he's sitting there and he makes a call on the walkies or whatever. And then he's outside. He's, he's eating something, whatever he's doing. And then he sees, you don't see, the camera doesn't, you know, it doesn't show us who it is. It's a POV from Jeff. And he's like, Oh, oh yeah, I was just taking, I was just up, whatever, blah, blah. And then the guy, and then you hear the stab of the music or whatever. It reminded me of Friday the 13th. Yeah. Uh, when the guy goes out there and is like, what are you doing out here? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, it was very much like I couldn't, and like it has to be a direct reference. I mean, I don't know how you could not, that would just be too coincidental for that to been yeah. that way. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, it's you. I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so obviously, you know, it's Gordon later. So it's, yeah, you yeah. Knew. Well, did you but, notice too? That's a good thing you pointed that out just before you get into your star rating. Uh, when uh, Jeff is sitting there and he's like eating the Oreo or whatever, and then whoever it is comes up and takes him out. And then when they replay the moment, when once you found out that it's Gordon that's lost his, you hear him. The first thing that comes out of his mouth, he says, hey, Uncle Gordo. But you didn't hear that the first time. No, uh-uh. They they just craftily cut that little bit out that he's hey Uncle Gordo you know <laughs> then the whole thing oh just sitting here afraid of the dark Oreos bleh, you know but yeah like in the Friday Thursday hey Mrs Voorhees what are you doing out in this yeah. mess huh? <laughs> <laughs> you just killed the ending of the movie spoiler alert for the one person out there who's never yeah. seen <laughs> you're listening to this or didn't listen to that episode we did year you know two years ago whatever it was star rating is actually it's gonna it's echo. Will's star rating. I'm going with three and a quarter. Uh, you know, I do a lot. Three and a quarter is not a bad rating for me. I, lo- I do like this movie quite a bit. And rewatching it was cool because I got to. It is definitely a rewatchable movie, especially if you haven't seen it in a while. You do tend to forget things, which I think is another sort of a. I don't know if it's purposeful or whatever, but the way this movie's put together because it's all dealing with mental illness and all that stuff. It had been a few years since I've seen it. I could not remember. I knew about Gordon, but I couldn't remember exactly how it tied things up at the end, whatever, or how. The tapes, the session tapes, how they played into it and whatnot, and all that. Cause there's a lot of things I'd forgotten about, so it's cool rewatching it to, you know, put all put two and two together again. Uh, but yeah, a three and a quarter is what I'm going to go with on it. Uh, I think it's, it's solid. It's a good, it's a good film if you've never seen it and you want a sort of a little sleeper hit type thing. It's good for that. So definitely say check it out, and and it's good for rewatchability at least once or twice. I think uh, we'll see what Donnie has to say, like I said, but I think I agree with what you guys have said, except I'm going to go a tad bit higher. I'm going to go three and a half. Um, And I say that just because I think it does have at least one good watching left in it to kind of, you know, it it makes you think it could go in about five different directions. So I think any kind of movie that makes you like kind of like, you know, think more than your average flick and, but also has a good rate of rewatchability you know, you could watch this another time or two and, and probably still be able to point out things you didn't catch the first time around. So anytime I run into a movie like that, you know, that has a good cast like this one does and is well put together, well directed, all that. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to give it three and a half. Um, I, I really liked it. And, uh, uh, good call, good call on this one, Smoke, to recommend this one for the rotation. I, I really liked it. All right. So like I said, we'll, uh, when, whenever we get Donnie back on next week, the week after, we'll get his connections from the crypt and his star rating. But, until then, we'll all go ahead and toss it to you. Kill. 
Speaking of the Friday the 13th music there. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go with six on this one. Uh, there are two that were off screen, but I'm going to go ahead and count them because it does lead to pretty much everything else that happened in the movie, which is uh, Wendy and Emma, uh, the, the wife and daughter, uh, right off the top that you keep seeing the flashbacks for. Then you got uh, Mike, who got stabbed in the head with a knife. You have uh, Jeff, who stabbed in the head with a knife. Seems to be a running Starting theme here. Yeah. <laughs> then you got Hank, who was stabbed in the head. I don't, I don't know what you would call that tool. Oh, the oh, lobotomy? Thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, that lobotomy yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but essentially, a uh, sharp object, kind of like a knife. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the knife, it's in the knife family. We'll count it. <laughs> then uh, Craig... Uh, who walked in at the very end and got st- stabbed in the head with a knife. Man, apparently a lobotomy somewhere in there too, right? Because I think Hank pretty much got lobotomized. Yeah. Yeah, we didn't yeah, we didn't touch on that, but that when I first saw this movie, that was that was a cool, cool scene I thought to creep me out of that. Whenever, you know, you don't know what happened to, to Hank, you know, well you see him in the one scene yeah. where he's there doing the thing and then somebody's there and then he's gone, right? You assume he, he got killed. And then they then they do the story of well his you know wife said it. Oh he probably took this you know, won this thing, whatever, he took off, he's gone. You know that something happened to him, and you, but you figure he's dead. And then when, uh, what's the name, Jeff is coming up out of the basement or wherever it was where he was messing with the uh, electric box or whatever, and he comes up and he sees Hank standing in the stairwell with sunglasses on and the headphones on, and he's just repeating the last thing that he said before he was... He's like, yeah, what, well, are, you you d- what are you doing here? Before, basically, you know. <laughs> and then he just keeps repeating that. You bring up, you just accidentally kind of brought up another thing there too. Like, so Phil was the one that talked to his ex-girlfriend, you know, the the current girlfriend of Hank, right? Did that conversation really Mm -hmm. take place? Oh, he's in Miami. He he took his shit and went to Miami. Was that real or? Yeah, that, 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 that's what I was, whenever I was watching it again with my wife, I was trying to figure that out too. And we're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, because yeah, I think he was talking about that. I'm like, I don't know. Cause he could have just made all that up. Yeah. Also. He wanted to get this other guy on the job anyways, you know. He wanted to get that friend of his, Craig, was that his name? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. He was asking about getting him on the job because he's better at doing it. So whether he believed whatever he believed about Hank. Hank, yeah. yeah. Hank. Whether he believed that he ran off or ran off or whatever it was he did, I don't yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he had yeah, that conversation he, with his Because even Gordon questioned it later. Like He said, uh, you all heard it. No, I didn't hear it. You said it. We didn't hear yeah. the phone conversation. You're the one that said that. So, like. Either way, you know, is it a red herring kind of thing? You know, whatever the term would be to throw you off. The other thing, they're trying to make him look like the killer for a little while in the movie. Well, yeah, so that yeah. might have been what that was. another tie-in to kind of make him look like. Yeah, Phil has all the motivation to have done this to Hank. So then when he's the one that goes down to the bowels of the asylum and finds Hank, you know, lobotomized and sitting in a corner, you know, yeah. you, you figure he finishes him off, but he didn't, right? Like, he actually tries to help him. Yeah. But yeah, that, that's another interesting... uh to point out but uh i guess all that leads us uh, directly into uh your segment smoke gore score yeah this one is uh i guess you call it back end heavy on the uh on the gore and the violence that is present it's not a lot present especially at the beginning you know there's talk of things or whatever they, like i said it's more of a mental psychological type horror movie but when things start happening near the end then it gets a little bit a little bit bloodier. Not you're still not seeing a bunch of stuff. You're not seeing the actual event. You're usually seeing a POV, and then somebody gets killed, and then you see their body with blood on it right later. Probably the most uh, graphic thing I would think would be the lobotomy thing, where they didn't really show it necessarily, but they show 
they show it whenever he has they take his sunglasses off and then he pulls the lobotomy tool out of his eyes. Yeah, so yeah. his head's lifting up off the floor. You yeah, see it kind of still like stuck oh, to man. it. It's like, oh fuck. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was like, oh god. That you feel that any kind of eyeball pain you feel, you know? Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. You see that on your eye starts you gotta rub your eye or something. That's probably the gra- most graphic part. And it even wasn't I mean, at that point he wasn't even dead <laughs> necessarily yet, because he had, you know, put it in his orb and whatever lobotomized him and he pulled the thing out. But and there was only a little bit of blood. It's just, it didn't need that though. It's just that just that eyeball thing is enough. But like you said, you see the bodies on the floor and they're covered in you know, blood in various stages or whatever. So not a ton of gore. Uh, just for that lobotomy thing alone though, and the little bit of blood that there was in certain scenes, I'll go with a five. If it wasn't for the lobotomy thing, you know, <laughs> seeing that come out of the eye like that, I probably would have went at least lower, four maybe even, because it was mainly aftermath, like I said, of bodies laying on the floor with some blood on them. All right, well, we'll I guess that's where we'll leave session nine, and we'll, we'll pick it back up next week or, or whenever Donnie comes back off of assignment, and we'll get his thoughts and the uh, Crypt Connections. But next week, we're going to be uh, doing our latest Spook Show Spotlight episode, and we're going to be talking about the, I guess, however you want to phrase this, the birth of home video, the uh, the birth of VHS. Smoke, this is a topic that we have talked about doing for a while, so I think we're finally going to get around to it. So this should be an interesting yep. one, and... It might even be uh, uh, become like a two or three parter, I imagine. I mean, how many different formats we have here? We got, damn, I'm trying to think of the very first one with like CED type things, discs or whatever, and laser discs and Betamax yeah. and VHS. And so, yeah, I mean, we definitely break this into two, maybe even three, like said, yeah. parts. I, I think we'll, we'll just talk about the birth of it, the, the first formats and everything, and get into that in this episode. And then maybe we can save a part two and, and or a part three for, you know, further down the line once you get into DVDs, Blu-rays. Uh, HD DVD, mm-hmm. so on and so forth, you know, once you get further down the line. But yeah, I, I thought that'd be a cool topic. We've talked about this forever, literally like very early on in the life of the Spook Show, 2018, 2019, we were talking about doing this at some point. So we're finally going to get around to it next week. That'll be episode 108. Then uh, on May 23rd, episode 109, we're going to swing back around to the Hellraiser series. And we're going to be talking about Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth from 1992. I'll go ahead and give you the brief synopsis on IMDb. It says, an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound Pinhead and his legions back to hell. So, that's all you need to know. <laughs> Pinhead shows back up with the Cenobites. And, uh, and it's got a song by Moodman called Hellraiser. That's yeah, another important part. There you go. So, <laughs> uh, look look forward to that, and uh, that'll be in two weeks. So, And then, don't forget, we're, we're fastly approaching, obviously, Memorial Day. Episode 110 will be Invasion USA. That'll be our latest uh, cannon fodder episode. But then... Right after that, on June 6th, will be the beginning of Camp Spook Show. So we ha- soon, probably within the, within the next couple of weeks, we'll start leaking out a little bit more information about like what that's going to entail, what movies we'll be, we will be watching. And I'll say here, uh, Will, you've got first choice on that one when we start Camp Spook Show, episode 111, June 6th. So keep that in mind. You're going you're gonna to be the one... Campy. Yeah, you're gonna be uh, no, not campy. It's gotta be uh, <laughs> it's campy. Gotta, no, it's gotta be about summer camps, not a campy movie. So you can't just pick Rocky Horror Picture Show or something like that. It has to be has to be about a summer camp. So, um, but yeah, we'll we'll get more and more you know uh, information about that as we get closer. So that we got a lot of big stuff planned for this summer. But all right, I guess that's it. So for Donnie, who couldn't be with us, he's on assignment, and for uh, Will and the Professor Smoke, I'm Josh. We are the All American Spook Show podcast, and we will talk to you next week.